Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Welcome to today's interview. I am so excited to be interviewing Daphne Smith today. She is a multiple trauma survivor, and she also is a coach, a speaker, and she helps women clear their crap. That crap is an acronym, C-R-A-P, and she can share a little bit more with you when I bring her on here. And for those who don't know me, I am Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. And I just love doing these interviews and I just am so excited to share Daphne with you. So I will bring her in here right away so you can meet my friend Daphne. Hello, Daphne. How are you doing today? I am well, Danielle. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me today live on Facebook. And then I get to share you all over the world in so many other ways. I'm so excited. Oh, my. <laughs> that sounds that sounds fantastic. <laughs> and, and all the good things. Yeah. One of the things I mentioned to the people was that you help women clear their crap. So I want to make sure that we can touch on that a little bit later. But for starters, I mentioned you're a multiple trauma survivor, which includes childhood and adult. And I know the adult is what we want to get into a little bit more, but share briefly a little bit of what kind of childhood trauma have you been through so people can get a little bit of a feel of where you're coming from. Sure. So when I was probably seven ish, I was um, sexually assaulted by a non family caregiver. And um, it went on. I honestly don't remember for how long. And I think that's part of God's protection of me is not to have crystal clear memories of every single instance. Mm -hmm. Yet I know that I know it happened. Um, I have flashes um, of, of those uh, incidents. I also grew up in an alcoholic environment and the confusing part for me, or one of the confusing parts is that it was a very high functioning alcoholic environment. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of books to escape. I watched a lot of TV to just tune out. And so I always equated alcoholism with people passed out, bottles strewn in the yard and boxes filled with empty containers. And that was not the way uh, the environment I grew up in managed itself. It was much more reserved and behind closed doors. So it wasn't until I was in my, gosh, probably late 30s 
when my, at the time, husband uh, and I were in counseling together and the therapist said, well, you know, Daphne, since you were raised in an alcoholic environment and I was like, what? I'd, I'd never described anything that way, but he could tell by my adult behaviors that was part of my background. And I so was, I was in such disbelief that when we left that appointment, I called both of my younger sisters. I'm five and a half years older than one and eight years older than the other one. So we really, you know, while we were biologically um, connected, we grew up somewhat disconnected because of the age gaps. And um, I asked them, I said, did we grow up in an alcoholic environment? And they were like, yeah, what are you thinking? So, you know, there can be trauma in our lives that we don't necessarily have a true awareness of. Yeah, that's because it doesn't look like what movies and TV and books portray it to be. Right. Or even what we expect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm so curious of what did it look like? Yeah. (laughs) It didn't look like what you thought. What did it look like? How did the counselor... Yeah, because maybe you can help someone else go, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was by my behaviors, by my behaviors as an adult, being as codependent as I was, I jokingly say um, that I have fantastic calves because I grew up walking around on my tiptoes, (laughs) never wanting to disturb, never wanting to be the spark to the fuse that would cause anger Mm. Um, because there was enough anger in the environment and alcohol magnified it. But everybody I was around, they had full-time responsible jobs and consistent income. And we went to church every Sunday and VBS in the summers and, and all the things. So to look on the outside or as I often talk to women about, the mask, right? And this is even before social media. So (laughs) what's really going on behind what people are portraying? Wow. Wow. So how did this, how did your childhood trauma, all the the different kinds affect your adult life? Did that have a connection to your adult trauma? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it it totally skewed my perception of Mm -hmm. what was okay what was healthy, what was appropriate. And so even I look back now as a teenager and I'm like, oh, girl, please, thank goodness for forgiveness. Um, I'm, hmm, yeah, not proud of some of the choices that I made in high school. However, I made them based on what I knew at the time. Oh, yeah. And what I knew at the time was inappropriate sexual boundaries And at the time, I didn't understand or believe in my value and my worth. And so that helped set the stage, if you will, for all of the choices that came later on. Wow. Wow. So how did you cope with this trauma in a way that was not successful? Yeah. So I can show you old credit card bills that were run like so high. It would equal people's annual salaries. Um, So numbing by spending, numbing by overeating. Um, I was 
well into the 200 pound club for several years. Um, I would stay up late and avoid dealing with people. So I would, you know, meaning my spouse. Um, and so I would watch TV until I would fall asleep. It was just a lot of my version of coping mechanisms. And I thought in order to deal that I would numb, I didn't realize in order to deal, I needed to heal and then I wouldn't have to numb anymore. Yeah. Wow. So did you recognize and own the truth of the trauma when you were growing up or were you so busy numbing it that you didn't even acknowledge it? Yeah. I was so busy trying to survive that I didn't acknowledge it. Plus you have to understand, um, when I was young, we kind of had an unspoken don't ask, don't tell you trust adults. Uh, there was no (laughs) such thing as stranger danger. Right. Right. And, and while something didn't feel good, it was under the threat of if you say anything and then who's going to believe me when I finally came clean, if you will, told my mother about it, which happened before I could even write my book. And then when I was writing my book, it more and more came to the surface, but I remember telling her as an adult and before I could even tell her who it was, she guessed. Wow. And she said that he had inappropriately approached her at one time, which, okay. If I had not healed, (laughs) um, that would have been more trauma for me Yeah. because the immediate thought is then what the heck? Why do you let this guy take care of me? (laughs) Right. However, um, again, um, she had her own stuff. Yeah. Love my mom, love my dad. They, they, we all have our own stuff. And so again, I know she did the best she could at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, recognizing, Hey, this was not right, all came as a result of me beginning a recovery process. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true about parents. So much of the time, it's generational. It's not malicious. Like uh, I created a math equation that is no malice does not equal no harm. Exactly. And there is a lot of people who have suffered trauma and childhood emotional neglect that won't admit it or own it because they feel like they're throwing their parents under the bus. Yeah. And they don't have to be throwing them under the bus. And I guess I need to say this again, because I just had an article in the paper, which cited some things from my parents and those emotions rose up. You're throwing your parents under the bus. I'm like, no, I'm not. My mother and I, we worked together and we built a bridge later. And it was just, it was them doing what they knew. They had their own piles of trauma. You know, I don't know what your parents had as trauma. I mean, your mom was approached by this guy. I mean, that was probably traumatic in some way, but I don't know what their history was. It caused them to be what they were, but most of the time it's, there's a cause They're, They are being this way because there is a cause be cause. <laughs> and so if we can recognize that and remove the malice out of it, 
it helps us to forgive where it might have been harder to forgive before. It's yeah, like, yeah. It just, but then that help causes other people the inability to own it because they don't want to do that to their parents. It's like, you need to let your parents be human, let them be broken, <laughs> let them be wounded and imperfect. And then if they're still alive, you can heal from there. If both sides want to build that bridge like me and my mom did, I couldn't with my dad because he died, but um, I encourage people to build that bridge, you know, and then you can all heal. And then you can heal that generational thing and you can be a cycle breaker. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Or, you know, a chain breaker. Um, right. And I think so much of it is rooted, Danielle, in shame. Mm-hmm. Generational oh, yeah. shame. Definitely. And I know you are a big advocate for no shame. No shame, never, shame ever, is ever. never appropriate. There's no and shame. Shame keeps us in the dark. Right. And as long as we stay in the dark, the dark, the shame, the the denial, mm-hmm. the dismissal, the yeah. downgrading, it has power over us. Right. But the minute we speak, and here's a key word, our truth, my truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And and I think you and I have talked about this in the past in other conversations. There are always three sides to every story. Mm-hmm. My side, their side, and the truth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so we each have our own perception. We each have right. our, our own, as you mentioned earlier, our own expectations. What is this supposed to look like? And when we stay anchored in that shame, then that trauma perpetuates from generation to generation. Right. And it takes someone at some point to say, stop. Right. This is not okay. Right. And make that very courageous. Let me stretch up my tricep and pat myself on the back. Um, That very courageous, that bold move at the risk of being ostracized. Right. Shamed more. um, Questioned. And a whole bunch of other. Right. Negative. Um, situations and judgments, but to say, you know what, can I, can I say kind of a potty mouth word right now? I mean, we already said the word crap. Um, so I'm gonna say we can edit it out. I'll be damned if I'm going to let someone else and their opinion determine my future. I am someday you are someday everyone watching this or listening to this, whatever the case may be is someday going to answer for their own decisions, right? And if you made your decisions based on someone else, you won't answer for those. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm going to answer for anything, I want it to be my decisions. I'm going to let you answer for yours and you answer for yours, but I need to answer for mine. Right. As long as I'm convicted and comfortable and comfortable, I don't mean like "Hmm, the Lord robe. I mean like convicted, comfortable then it's going to be what's going to be because none of us, none of us deserve to live in a place of fear. Amen. Because perfect love casts out fear. I'm starting to preach. Um, <laughs> if, if you, I, if we are living in fear, then we are not living in perfect love. And that Amen. means we are living 
in fear. We are living in shame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love That's that. Not That's not thriving. That is that not is living not thriving. Victorious podcast <laughs> hashtag publicity. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my goodness. It's so, so, so true. Oh, and Gabor Mate, he says that, um, to quote him, probably imperfectly, but he said that we, people operate from their perspective of what's happening, not from what is really happening, which I felt very validated because I wrote in my first book, which I didn't even know about this gentleman at that time is, Perception is reality to the one in the experience. That's the only thing that you know to respond to. And when you're building a bridge between someone or you're taking action to heal, you have to deal with that perception because that's where you're at. You can't go, we have to find the truth. I mean, that might be helpful, but you have to deal with what you got going on inside of you and what what has happened to you because trauma is the response. It's not the situation. It's not that the event it's what happened in your soul right because what's traumatic to you may not be traumatic to somebody else Mm -hmm. so that's where we have to recognize it's an individual process and experience right that's why my quote trauma is personal is so profound and resonates so much and people really need to grab a hold of that because they dismiss it because it doesn't look like what they think Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if it has traumatized them and they're like your counselor said to you, your behaviors were evidence. And this mm-hmm. is the trauma returns as a reaction, not a memory. <laughs> yeah. And that's when we know there's trauma there because it's got the side effects. It's got the overflow of it. And so that's what we have to deal with with that. So, yeah. um, that's just really great. I'm really glad we got into all of that, but I want to move on to the next thing. Um, you were recently divorced. That's one of the things you're patting yourself on the back of, yay, because you have uh, gotten yourself free. What did you get yourself free from? What was the trauma that you were dealing with in your marriage, in your adult life? Yeah, so to package this correctly, as you said, our experiences are our experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, I experienced the way I processed the dynamics of our relationship were through all the different forms of abuse and what made it challenging for me at first was in part my upbringing, because again, my perception was skewed, right? That was your normal. That was my normal normal. was abnormal. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being called names, being involved physically, I, you know, I'd experience that. I, you know, um, now I never, you know, I, I want a little bit of a disclaimer here. I, I never wound up in the hospital. And again, see, that's, that's part of the confusing. That's the line that we think that, well, I didn't end up in the hospital. Well, it did. It wasn't this. Well, it wasn't that, but was yeah. it right? Were you being treated properly? Were you being hit at all? Were you being treated like you ought not to have been treated? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, emotional abuse, doesn't leave outward scars. Verbal abuse doesn't leave outward scars. And I think that's part of what is so hard for people. And I can only speak to the kind of people that I are. And I are a Southern Christian woman (laughs) that can magnify the issues because Mm -hmm. we read in the book that I rely on for truth about ways to 
behave and to forgive and to have grace and all, all the godly behaviors, recognizing none of us are God. None of us are Jesus. None of us are perfect. Amen. We are all hurt. We are all hurting. However, that's not an excuse to hurt someone else right. or to put up with hurt. Right. This is as good as it gets or, or here, here's, mm, it could be worse is not an acceptable bar. Amen. It is not acceptable to have the mindset of it could be worse. Well, yeah, it could be. How bad does it have to get? Yeah. And Great. in order for me to leave the situation and also a little brief background, I come from a divorced family and I believed it was my role as the firstborn responsible one to break the legacy of the family. Well, you know what? I am the firstborn responsible one. And my responsibility is to live in a healthy environment, to take care of myself and to model that for my children as well. And I didn't model it well. And they are having to deal with, and they will have to deal with the trauma I inadvertently exposed them to by staying in the situation that I was in. And when I finally allowed myself to believe what that seed of hope that had been days of doubt transpired. And it finally got to the point. Here's the thing. We all believe we have a breaking point until we reach it. And here's, here, here, here's what's um, misleading is that the breaking point we think we have isn't really our breaking point. <laughs> okay. Any, anyone who's a coach like you and I are, or, or a parent, perhaps when we ask somebody a question, we know that the third answer is the real answer, <laughs> right? So we just take the surface one and move on. Uh-uh, nay, nay, no, no. Tell me what really happened. What, what's the one thing you're not telling me? We have to dig. So even when we say, oh, well, I would never put up with that. Mm, really? How do you know? Right. And even if you put up with it once, unless you have chiseled it in stone, that it's a deal breaker for yourself, it's quite possible you will downplay, dismiss deny and diminish it. Right. Because <laughs> you want to believe it's not true. Right. And there was a term that you used in our, um, our pre-interview that I want to bring up because it's important for people to hear it. And you were very careful to say it in this particular way too. use the term covert narcissistic tendencies because you talked about diagnoses and stuff like that and that can be something that people are like well they're not diagnosed and so they would dismiss it there can you elaborate on what is that and you use the term crazy making too so I want to bring those terms up because I think they're important for someone to recognize and own that what they're living is is not okay but it's okay to get out of it but just some validation for for them sure sure so If you are feeling like you're crazy and you know dang well you're not, there's a sign, okay? It was too, whoa, whoa, light bulb, 
two years ago this month. Wow. When I was introduced to a book by a friend who I'd been told for years and years, oh, well, that's passive aggressive behavior. And I was able to rationalize that because we can all be passive aggressive at some point in time for something. Okay. So I was like, oh, well, yet there was one incident that had happened. And I was like, okay, enough. And so I started learning more. What was the name of that book? The book is called Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist or Narcissistic Tendencies. Y'all can find it. The gal, the author is Debbie Mizra, M-I-Z-R-A. Go to Amazon, type in those four words. It'll, it'll pull up. Great resource. Thank you. Fantastic resource. I'm going to give you another one in a minute, but that book or any book for that matter, if something resonates with you again, there's your sign. Yeah. I've heard songs for years unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield. I was like, wow, that really, that really speaks to my soul. Um, Suitcases by Dara McLean. That really speaks to my soul. What a feeling by Irene Cara. If there are songs and you see a pattern, Mm -hmm. allow yourself the privilege of taking a deeper dive and finding out why. And, And I'm very careful to use the word tendencies, as you pointed out, because without a diagnosis, it's the same like with alcoholism. Someone can have alcoholic tendencies and not necessarily be an alcoholic. In other words, they open a bottle of wine and they finish it off once a month. That could be a tendency because they can't stop, right? Um, somebody who has no issues at all can have a glass of wine, fork it, put it away and not touch the rest of it for another month, okay? And I'm not judging, I'm not, okay. Um, just saying. Uh, just so, trying to draw a picture, that's all. Nope. Giving you an image, an idea. Because um, we could use chocolate cake instead of alcohol if we needed to. Same thing. Uh, but it's the thing all about is, the lack of control. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's the tendencies that make things hard to figure out because they're not consistent. Right. right? So imagine, <clears throat> imagine living a life where you have never, ever, been hit by a member of the opposite sex, like ever, or perhaps in your own case, someone of the same sex. Imagine never, ever being physically assaulted in any way. That is something that is possible. There are people in this world who've never been hit. So that's why when I say it could be worse is not an acceptable bar. Mm -hmm. I, I go back to that type of thinking of there are people who've, who've never been called. I won't even say those words. Okay. I'm not going to ask you for me. I'm not, I'm not going to say those words. Okay. There are people who've never been called those words. We'll leave those up to the imagination of our audience. Exactly. Okay. And the ones that maybe they have heard and been called themselves. Exactly. And it's not okay. If it's not validating in a good, positive, uplifting, building up way that you matter and you're loved, then it's unacceptable. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it, when, when we start to understand, because people understand what an overt narcissist is, it's like, here I am, 
I'm Mrs. or Mr. Wonderful and the world revolves around me. I mean, they're the people we don't like to be around. But covert is that outward public appearance one way, behind closed doors another. Mm. It's the covert that contributes to the crazy making. I did that impression mm. on, on purpose, so you remember it. But wow. um, that is that is what I dealt with, and that is part of what kept me where I was for so long. And thinking that if I only change a little bit more, if I just try a little bit harder, if I'm only a little bit better, a little bit more this, a little bit less that, and I realized after a self proclamation, not from me but from someone else, that. They were a fill in the blank and they had no desire to change that. Well, that kind of let me off the hook. Wow. I was like, you know, it's one thing to recognize you've got issues and then choose to deal with it. I guess you can heal it. It's a completely different situation to recognize you have issues and say, live with it. No, I have said, even, even as a good Southern Christian girl, if it is abuse, adultery, or addiction that goes unaddressed, that's your get out of jail free card. Because God hates divorce, but even more, he hates his daughters and sons being mistreated. He cares more about the individual than he does the institution. Mm-hmm. And there could be a reason we call marriage an institution. Just saying. See what happens when you give me free reign, Danielle. I'm like, Manta. But this is great. This is, it's healing. Laughter is healing. And, and those who are listening, I know that you're speaking to their hearts. And this message is going to help so many people. Maybe even men who are in situations where their wife is treating them that way. It doesn't oh, have God. to just be a man treating a woman this way. There are men being mistreated and abused by their wife. And that can be even more shameful to them because there are men, they're supposed to be all that and all that society keeps on them. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not letting, and I I got, we have some friends who call this my finger. It's, I mean, it's like a laser. She's shaking Um, her finger for the podcast. You can't see her shaking her finger, but she's shaking her finger. And the, and the head is bobbing. And if you're listening to the podcast, I look really cute today. Okay. But anyway, um, I just lied. Um, here's the thing. Sisters who are listening to this, y'all need to behave too. Mm-mm, no, it, it's not okay for men to behave badly, so to speak. It's also not okay for us. No, 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 no. We can only blame so much on our hormones. Okay. We can only blame so much on the kids, the job, the whatever. We got to take ownership of Amen. the things we do and the things we say and the choices we make. Amen. Amen. Even with all of those things you mentioned, we still have what I call our superpower, which that's in my books and my courses and everything that I got from um, Viktor Frankl. He calls it uh, man's uh, last freedom. Mm -hmm. I call it our superpower. Yeah. And that is our, we always, 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 I don't care how old you are, young you are, what you look like, where you live, how much money you have, where you're at, if you're tied in a chair or whatever, because he learned this in the Holocaust and the concentration camps when they were beating him and just doing things to him that he had no control over. Mm-hmm. But what we always have the control over is our choice 
on how to respond. Our choice, our attitude, and our belief. Of what we're going to do, how are we going to respond to this situation? We have that choice. No one can take that from us and no one can do that for us. That's where taking ownership is the clear thing with here. And so I want to go into you were how long were you married before you escaped? And why did you stay? And I know that we kind of blend these together about you took ownership to leave you. It took you a while to do that. So how long were you married about? How long in did you start taking your actions and, and move yeah. into that? So we were married 32 and a half years. Wow, that's a long time. I want to pause here time. and let people hear that. 32 years. Which goes to show it's never too late. If right. you have a breath in your body, you still have a choice. Right. And the choices can be really hard. Right. The choices, because I don't want to diminish or downplay the pain, not only for myself, but for him, for our kids, for our families. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's it, talk about a ripple effect. Okay. Right. Um, but um, what, what I decided, uh, and to be honest, we started therapy probably a year and a half into our marriage. One and a half years, pause there too. One and a half years. I want to pause at these little mile marker things. Yeah. Okay, so one and a half years in, you were you went into counseling. How long were you guys in counseling? Uh, not very long because he did not like the counselor. So and- he was uncooperative. So that was another thing. Mm-hmm. And then, so how far in was it that you had your aha moment that you started knowing you needed to do something? Um, about two years ago. <laughs> so, so for essentially 30 years, I lived under the assumption that if I tried harder, if I was better, if I did more, if I did less, then everything would be okay. Wow. So that's why I you stayed was that you put it all the blame on yourself. We'll pause here again. I'm going to pause at these little places. So people don't go past them too quickly. That's what children do. They blame themselves. They blame themselves because they can't make their caregiver the villain because they have to make themselves the villain. And so that's what you did. You made yourself the villain and that wasn't right. And, and here's the thing. I had that childhood trauma. Right. So as we said at the beginning, how did that affect my adult decisions. So I held on and and also growing up in the alcoholic environment, there were times when I was responsible for making sure my sisters did their homework and got to bed on time and were fed dinner. And you have to think about, I, I was like 13, 14 when my parents divorced. So how old were they? And is that really, I don't care how mature and responsible your 13 and 14 year old are they ought not be raising their siblings. Right. Okay. Um, That's called parentization. There's actually a word for that. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a word for that when the child has to become the parent. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, you know, for a long time it was joked about and, and now after healing and grief, we've been able to say, you know, Daphne, that's, that's how it was. And it was what it was. And we can't go back and change it. 
we can move beyond it. Right. And during the essentially, you know, 30 years. So if we started counseling about two years in, actually, I think it was before that. Um, <laughs> and, and up until earlier this year, when I made the decision during a counseling session, that if we went through one more round, I was going to be nauseous when I said I need, I never wanted a divorce. Here's a place to pause. I'm going to pause myself. I never wanted a divorce. I knew for my well-being, I needed a divorce. And ultimately, that's a well-being possibly for him and for our family and for wow. our legacy. Wow. And it was during those 30 years where we were in and out. He 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 would go when I would require or beg, plead, make, ask. Okay. It was always initiated by me. I went through several years of counseling on my own. And I even went so far as to make sure that I picked a male counselor in case I had an issue with men. Cause I thought, Oh, oh I don't, I want, don't want to go get some women's lip feminism kind of gal, <laughs> you know? So, so let me, let me work with a man and, and learn to trust and be vulnerable and in and, and healthy ways, okay, mm -hmm. in healthy ways. And when that book was shared with me by a trusted male friend, former pastor who's married to a counselor, I just reached out one day and said, hey, do you know a book about passive aggressive behavior? I didn't even give any context to my request. Mm -hmm. And that book that I mentioned by Debbie Mizra um, came you know, was, was the recommendation. And from that book, I also found a book by Dana Morningstar called out of the fog. It's awesome. the kind of book that I have on audio and I bought a physical copy. Oh, I understand that. I did that with running on empty by Dr. Janice Webb. It's like, you find the one that does it. You, I need it. Just do yep. it. So pause yep. here for our audience too. whatever book that resonates with you absorb it and take ownership and use it to move yourself out into a place of thriving. Yeah. Yeah. And FOG stands for an acronym of fear, obligation, and guilt. Wow. When you come out of that FOG, you can see things clearly. And that kind of goes to the expression of when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. <laughs> we can't change them. We don't need to change them. We may want to change them, but we want to change them for us, mm -hmm. not necessarily for them, because if they're happy being that way and we really love them, why would we want them to change? Let them be. That doesn't mean you have to be with them. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. That's that deep. Is. So share with our <laughs> audience, where are you now? I mean, you are moving, you recently are divorced, you have moved out and you're in a new place right now, but you're on the precipice of another thing. Share your victory here with us. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm currently, we're doing this, um, this broadcast, this recording, I am in my 32 year old daughter's spare bedroom in her apartment. And she allowed me to have some temporary security, if you will, a, a place to land Mm -hmm. Um, because part of the divorce was selling the house and breaking up the assets and all the things that come with that. 
And on September 20th, so I don't know when somebody's going to hear or see this, I will close on my very own home for the first time uh, ever. Um, My name's going to be the only one on the deed. And I am, I am celebrating the victory. I am celebrating the fact that I have the courage to do it, that I am willing to risk and that I'm willing to trust. And the one, capital T, capital O, that I believe in is a provider of abundance and never ending provision. Mm-hmm. And so, while well, yes, I'm staying within my budget and I'm being fiscally responsible. I'm also <laughs> super, super excited about Yeah, it's like you have season. emancipated yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that there's a freedom with that. That's how I felt at the end of my first book, Emerging with Wings. I like that word emancipated. There's a freedom yeah. that you have come out from underneath such oppression. And I'm just so excited for you in your new place. I have to see pictures when you move in and everything. I'm just so excited Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. My home, like myself, will have before and after photos. Exactly. <laughs> and you get to go through all that redecorating and just making it yours, which is going to be awesome. So you have a book also. Can you uh, tell us about your book? Show us and tell us about your book. Yeah. So for those who are watching the video um, and for those who are listening, I'm holding up a copy of my book. It's called (laughs) What's Your Scarlet Letter? And the subtitle is Recognize Your Hurt, Release Your Shame, and Reclaim Your Voice. And we've talked a lot about my story today which is grounded in abuse. I want you to understand that when I was writing this book, I did recognize that not everybody can relate to that. Thank you, God. There are people who have not gone through what I have gone through. Yet that process of recognizing, realizing, and reclaiming Mm -hmm. are processes that people who've gone through an abortion, adoption, Divorce. I got to go back and read my own book so I can read that chapter. Um, <laughs> there are people who I understand with, that. I've gone and relearned from myself. It's, it's yeah. good to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stories of rejection, body shame issues, um, pornography addiction. So those are stories. I have seven other women that I include in this book and their journey to wholeness through hope. So to me, it's a book that can resonate just about with anybody because there's also some training in there about signs to look for. Mm-hmm. So if you are a care provider, um, it might be, you know, a, a good resource for you. If you've got younger people in your life, or if you've got some friends, you're like, I don't get them. What is their deal? This may explain a lot. I've actually even had some men say, you know, we only know what you guys share with us. And we know sometimes you guys don't share everything with us because you don't know how. Make sure men know to read this book also. So, Okay. Well, how can my audience connect with you and find you online or in person or anything? How can they find you? Yeah. So um, my website is Daphne, D-A-P-H-N-E-V, like in Victorious, uh, Smith. So Daphne V. Smith dot com is my website. I'm on all the socials. I'm on Instagram as Daphne V. Smith, Facebook, Daphne V. Smith speaker. 
I've also recently started a TikTok account um, and having so much fun just being goofy. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn because I work with professional women and their career goals as well. So it's not all about the personal stuff. Um, Often the personal stuff affects our career. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, we can have stuff happen in our career that affects us in our personal which life. Which brings so- me back to something we forgot to touch on, which I think fits just perfectly here, as you help women clear their crap. Clear your crap. What does the crap stand for? I think that goes with what you were just saying with LinkedIn. So we'll we'll leave our our audience with this before we move on. What what is that clearing your crap? Just a little, give them a little taste. Yeah. So to me, clearing your crap is like if you go out into your yards or you're, you know, a yard, a lawn, and you whack off a weed at the top, it may look good for a while, but the root is still underneath the surface. And that's what your crap is. Your crap is that root that you may look like a duck on the surface. You may look all groomed and polished, but underneath there's some stuff that's still going to pop up. So crap Mm -hmm. is actually an acronym for chaos, rules, awareness, and perspectives. And when we clear those out and we establish our own based on our own values, then any change we choose to make after that is a change that can take root and replace what was there before. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that I remembered that when you were talking about LinkedIn, it, it brought it back to me. So It's so important to remember that. And I just want to thank you for being with me today, Daphne, and opening up your heart and being vulnerable in front of my audience and everywhere I get to share this and your story is going to change lives. And I I appreciate you sharing. Well, Danielle, it's, it's an honor to be here. And your story, your book, Because You Matter, really sums it all up. And that is what leads when we accept that and when we clear our crap, when we identify and shed the scarlet letters that we have, that Mm -hmm. is when we have a victorious life. Amen. Well, thank you again. I'll talk to you in a little bit. Bye for now. Thank you for being with me today and hearing Daphne's story. And I know that it will touch your heart deeply It will help you. It will help people that you know. And any one of those books that resonates with you, run over to Amazon on your computer, your phone, your iPad, whatever you got, and get a copy of the one that resonates with your heart so that you can get free. Because I am that lady on the internet who loves you. I do want you to go from surviving to thriving. And you do that by getting the tools that you need, listening to Um, broadcasts like this, getting books that serve you, enrolling in courses, hiring coaches, going for counseling, whatever it is that serves you. But I just encourage you, take ownership of your life so you can thrive. So till next time, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further, so please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, 
Only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.